0: Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. In our recent post about pleasure, we focused on the special role that touch plays as a vehicle for pleasure. Along with the other senses, touch provides a basis for living an epicurean life, in which pleasure brings us physical, emotional, and mental health, and a deeply satisfying life. In this post, we'll look at pleasure through a different lens, that of forbidden pleasure. Society confronts each of us with strict and inflexible boundaries around our enjoyment of pleasure. We're told, in no uncertain terms, that we must color within the lines that society draws for us. We're told how much pleasure we should seek, and of what kind. We're taught to distrust pleasure as a source of potential distraction or even moral corruption. Since our bodies are the means through which we connect with pleasure, we're also told to distrust and carefully control our physical nature. Beyond putting us at war with our very nature, these prescriptions regarding pleasure also create a very sex-negative outlook on life. Despite, and perhaps in defiance of, these funky attitudes regarding pleasure and sex, many people are able to retain a healthy connection with their physical nature. In so doing, they are able to give pleasure the importance that it deserves. A welcoming attitude toward pleasure invites one to think about how best to incorporate pleasure into one's life. Once we manage to normalize and embrace the essential role of pleasure in our life, we can entertain ways to enhance our enjoyment of life. In our intimate relationships, we can use sensual or sexual massage as a gift to give our partners. We may also want to explore the ancient art of Tantra to deepen and intensify our connections. The possibilities are really limited mainly by our imagination and our willingness to explore. As we've seen in prior postings, the ancient Greek notion of an Epicurean lifestyle positions pleasure as a central goal in life. Such a lifestyle isn't about mindless self-indulgence, but rather about fully embracing the richness that pleasure can bring to the human experience. One's relationship with pleasure can provide a central theme for one's relationships. Pleasure can be a source of novelty and an arena for exploration in one's life. As we've considered in earlier posts, novelty, excitement, and experimentation are as important to healthy relationships as are stability, security, and predictability. The failure to accommodate novelty in relationships is the cause of the ultimate demise of many relationships, including marriages. That realization should serve as a wake-up call to us to give novelty and excitement its due. In a traditional romantic relationship, pleasure, and specifically sensual and sexual pleasure, is seen as one of the major benefits that a couple is entitled to. In a committed relationship, such as a monogamous marriage, pleasure is socially sanctioned as legitimate, especially when it occurs in the pursuit of procreation. However, there are socially imposed limits as to what kinds and amounts of pleasure are acceptable. Many sexual practices are frowned upon or even in some cases positioned as illegal and immoral. Pleasure is, of course, valued by most people. We humans are wired for it. Many people seek out ways to supplement the pleasure that they get from their relationships. For some, that takes the form of a regular diet of pornography, which is intended to serve as entertainment. Porn can be a healthy way to spice up one's sensual and sexual life, though the particulars matter. Porn that includes violence is not psychologically healthy, either for the consuming individual nor for the people in relationship with that person. The same applies to porn that features certain other fringe practices. Similarly, porn watching that becomes compulsive is also unhealthy because the resulting habit can infringe on a person's power of choice. Let's think a little bit about the role of sexual fidelity in relationships. The strength of the siren call to pleasure is reflected in the high incidence of sexual infidelity, or cheating, in relationships. Many studies done since the 1970s have found that infidelity is a common occurrence. Some studies suggest that as many as 30% to 40% of unmarried relationships and 18 to 20% of married relationships experience at least one incident of infidelity. Needless to say, that can take quite a toll on the integrity of a relationship. Beyond the sexual transgression, such actions breach the trust that is essential to healthy relationships. A significant number of otherwise traditional coupled relationships include at least occasional forays into one or more of the sexual practices referred to as ethical non-monogamy, or ENM. Those practices are also sometimes referred to as consensual non-monogamy. A 2017 study in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy found that more than 1 in 5 of the surveyed American single adults had engaged in some form of ENM at some point in their lifetime, with men and gay, lesbian or bisexual individuals being more likely to participate in ENM. In all forms of ENM practices the partners in an existing relationship agree to allow themselves to have sexual partners outside their relationship in what is called an open relationship such arrangements entail negotiating the behavioral boundaries that are deemed acceptable by both partners E.N.M. is ethical because it occurs with the knowledge and consent of both members of an existing couple, in contrast with unethical cheating in which one or both partners have sexual liaisons without the knowledge of their partner. Because our society positions monogamy as the only legitimate form of committed relationship, some view E.N.M. as pathological. However, several studies have reported findings that should give pause to such negative judgments. Surveys of those engaging in E&M show that such people tend to report happier marriages or relationships. They enjoy their relationships more, that is, more satisfying sex, with less jealousy. They are more supportive of their partner, as indicated by more expressed affection, better communication, and more praise to the partner. They see swinging as an enhancement to rather than as a detractor from their relationship and they report no more depression, anxiety, or other mental health problems than the overall population. These results suggest that blindly condemning E&M is misplaced. There are several common forms of E&M. Occasional extra-relationship sex play, so-called hull passes or going to sex clubs. Couple or group-oriented sex play, such as so-called swinging or group sex couple or group-oriented sex play, such as swinging or group sex, and polyamory or emotional commitment to more than one partner. Each of these has different goals and emphasis. Regarding occasional sexual outings, the partners in an existing relationship can allow each other the latitude to spice up their sensual or sexual experiences by occasionally connecting sexually with others outside their relationship that can take place in the venue of a sex club or it can take the form of one-on-one arrangements between partners and others so-called hall passes the particular arrangements may vary widely for those to qualify as ENM the partners must negotiate with each other regarding what is acceptable and what is not for example some partners may adopt a don't ask don't tell rule while others may require a post-trist accounting of what transpired during their sabbatical There are no hard-and-fast rules, or right or wrong, in such arrangements, beyond staying faithful to the agreed-upon boundaries. Swinging, or sometimes called the lifestyle, is a practice in which a couple connects sexually with others that might include singles, other couples, or groups of others. Swinging is basically a couple-centered practice in that, though the couple connects physically with others, they do not develop deep emotional bonds outside their existing relationship. Swinging venues can include sex clubs or house parties, consisting of selected invitees or in private meetings between a couple and an individual or another couple. Whereas occasional extra-relationship sex play and swinging revolve around physical, sexual connections outside the relationship, polyamory is different. Poly, as it is often referred to, entails the development of emotional rather than physical connections outside an existing relationship. Of course, that can and usually is accompanied by sensual or sexual connections as well, but if emotional connection lies at the heart of committed relationships, poly exists on that plane. It's estimated that 4% to 5% of American adults practice polyamory. There are as many different styles of polyamory, spanning a range of communication styles between partners, openness or closure to adding new partners, logistical and financial arrangements, etc., It sometimes seems that there are as many styles of poly as there are practitioners. What's common across those, though, is a reliance on good communication and negotiation skills to ensure that each participating partner is respected, supported, and accommodated within the agreed-upon arrangements. That can entail a more complex lifestyle than is required in a two-person monogamous relationship. The payoff for that complexity is access to more intimate, loving, sexual, and romantic relationships than are possible within a monogamous coupled relationship. In this post, we've visited a number of avenues that are available for bringing more pleasure into our life. Some of these are well known and accepted, while others are still viewed with suspicion by our society. The important thing to realize, I think, is that it is up to each of us to consider and choose which are right for us. We are each responsible for the health of our bodies, minds, and hearts, and we are also each responsible for evaluating which rules and guidelines we want to live by. Some of the things we've been taught may no longer be serving us well, if ever they did. In such cases, we have the power of re through which we can reconsider and alter our social programming. That is truly a freedom worth embracing. To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors website at twoopendoors.com or the Two Open Doors private Facebook group. Finally, I invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your input to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors.